Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Anita Zanesco, who has returned to Trinity P3 as a business director. Welcome back, Anita. Thank you, Darren. Well, I say welcome back because you went off uh, for two years to lead new business at uh, one of the agencies for Australia and New Zealand. Isn't that right? I did. I went um, to Havas um, for two fantastic years. Um, absolutely loved my time there, but certainly in terms of timing, I couldn't have really um, got it worse because I sort of joined and I think three weeks later we went into lockdown, yeah, which so isn't great for new business. <laughs> well, I was going to say great moments in poor timing. You know, Great moments in poor timing, yes. It really was fundamentally disruptive, wasn't it, to all aspects of business. But I'd really be interested in how, from your perspective, because going into that job, you probably had some plans. Absolutely, yeah. How disruptive was it to those plans and what were they? Um, it was really disruptive in the first, I would say, the first three to four months. It, you know, you're dealing with a situation where CEOs and HR directors, they've never been in a situation like this before and when the when when it became more than just sort of a, a flu flu like virus that would soon go away and it became apparent that it was here to stay I think for those at least the first three to four months um, complete attention was really on people it was on how agency the agency was going to survive um, how they were going to look after their people I certainly know at Havas it was very people focused making sure everyone was okay, making sure everyone was set up to work from home because before we knew it, we were all, you know, at home, at our kitchen tables or wherever you could find space. Um, and just really they were really focused on the health and welfare of their people and, of course, of their clients. Um, and in the case of, so so I worked with um, all the Havas agencies, but, you know, you look at an agency like Host Havas, and Air New Zealand was one of their biggest clients. So you had, you know, there were agencies in the industry who had, um, who, were, who were actually probably did better during the pandemic because their client portfolios were supermarkets and FMCG and toilet paper, God forbid. Um, other agencies who ha- had clients in the tourism sector, airlines and so forth. Um, they were just hemorrhaging, weren't they? Yeah, They've, you know, they've started the year looking at the year ahead and going, you know, having forecasts and, and, and targets to hit and then all of a sudden that rug is just pulled out from under your feet. So, yeah, the challenge is certainly from a new business perspective, I mean, there was, there was a lot of sort of planning going on in that three or four months because there was no new business around because clients had also bunkered down to look after their people and to work out how they were going to survive this. Yeah, I know uh, here we had a week where... I think we had six tenders pitches going on and four of them went on hold indefinitely. Two said we're going to storm ahead and we have to quickly reinvent the whole process. Yeah. So it could be done by you know, online, by Zoom and, and that type of thing. Yeah. It's a really interesting point because we've heard a lot from agencies about that shift of focus of just helping their clients but it would be very hard to continue that with people you're trying to build relationships with. Oh, totally, totally. It was it was sort of, 
it, it's we we were fortunate that we weren't in the middle of a pitch. Um, we'd finished a massive pitch almost right before COVID began. But um, yes, it's fine for clients, you know. Um, but for new clients to try and help them through it um, would have been a very difficult task indeed. And well, I'm it could sure be a little creepy, couldn't it? Because yeah. someone that's sort of trying to get your attention is suddenly going, "Can I help you?" you yeah, know, it's, no, it's, it's like... a bit of ambulance chasing, and you, yeah, you just didn't. You, that, and seriously, for that three or four months, there wasn't any outreach either. It was like just, just let you knew people had other priorities. Yeah, and you know, sending them sort of emails unsolicited emails from, you know, almost cold calling is just not the right thing to do. And after that initial lockdown, suddenly things bounced back because, you know, I remember late 2020, suddenly everyone was saying about how there were so many pitches and things happening. It was almost like this tension had built up during the lockdown that suddenly got released as uh, people started to think it was opening up again. Yeah, I remember sitting in one management meeting in the first week of July and it was game on. We were all back in the office. It was almost like, you know, it was over. And the just the momentum just all built up so quickly. Um, and then, of course, the, the second half of the year didn't really pan out as well as expected either because it wasn't all over and we were sort of, you know, we just had a little bit of a reprieve um, to go back in. But but even in that period, because a lot of clients weren't back in their buildings, there was still a lot of virtual activity taking place. And I think that's where agencies had to adapt from a pitching point of view and some agencies did better than others in terms of how they came across because, you know, chemistry, as you know, um, is massive in pitching. Um, and when you're not face-to-face trying to build that chemistry, you know, between faces um, on a screen is, is not as easy as it, it kind of looks. Um, so there was there were still things to be learnt during that sort of second half of 2020 that we then built on in 2021. Now, as a new business director, um, you know, trying to pull teams together for pitches, how much harder is it when, it, you know, most people are working from home? Uh I was very lucky in that Havas is, um, you know, the the three CEOs across the three agencies I worked with um, were exceptionally strong and and they did a lot of pulling of the teams together. And I think where agencies, um, and I've sort of seen this at Havas and I've even seen it now where agencies are becoming smarter when it comes to pitching is having that pitch team that already has the chemistry frequently being the sort of first first into pitch um, in terms of chemistry meetings and so forth. So I think, you know, it, it came down to leadership and certainly my experience um, in my role in new business was a very positive one at Avas and it was the CEOs that drove it. It's leadership from the top, isn't it? And it's yeah. like they pulled their teams together. Um, I think getting the, as, as the pitch process continues, actually getting work from people and actually being able to give feedback is notoriously difficult um, when you're doing it virtually. It's so much easier in a room where you're all looking at work on a boardroom table and you can shuffle things around. When you're trying to actually do that virtually, it's just not the same. We're a people business. Yeah, and also because in most cases the pitch is quite an artificial environment because when you're working with clients, there's opportunities for iterating and getting feedback and, and that gives you some certainty. You know, one of the things that I'm always aware of, particularly when people are running sort of speculative creative pitches, 
is that the whole agency team is in a situation of second-guessing the client, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they certainly are. Yeah, and I think that you see that even more um, with client-run pitches or procurement-led pitches where you don't have a consultant that can actually help sort of sort of feed that information through. Um, so, yes, it is. it can be artificial and I think our challenge as consultants and, and certainly um, client challenges are trying to make the pitch process as less artificial as possible and um, there are many ways you can do that. There are, you know, there are... There is no set process for running a pitch and it's up to us to find the most effective process to do that. I'm running a pitch at the moment and we did away with a, a strategy workshop because actually that was going to be a waste of a half a day and instead we've put two tissue meetings in to actually, because at the end of the day the, the client is very, very focused on creativity. Right. So it's it's adapting and changing and, and I certainly don't believe that even um, a creative shootout at the end is necessarily the best answer yeah. in, in all cases. You said before that, um, you know, it was hard to get, uh, you know, the leaders of the agency were pulling people together, but it was hard to get that feedback around the team. I'm just wondering if, you know, is there a, uh, was there any sort of secret sauce or, or you know, way of making that happen? Of getting feedback? Yeah, of getting a team working a lot more collaboratively and, and getting that feedback when you're remote. Well, uh, well, the secret sauce was actually every opportunity meet face-to-face. So whether that's a walk along the coastal path or... Um, meeting in someone's backyard if permitted like I think that was honestly there's no I don't think there's any um, solution to uh, that can overcome the the benefits of a face-to-face meeting Um, and I think the secret source is probably also massive respect for the leadership team and for the agency that you work for and I'm sure other agencies were in different scenarios where people weren't as committed but certainly my experience at Havas, they're pretty committed, committed teams, committed people, a lot of respect for their leaders, and they weren't going to let anyone down. Mm. So, yeah. You also said there's no set pitch, but did you find that a lot of, say, client-run pitches had the same format or formula? Is there sort of a default pitch method? There is definitely a default pitch method, yep. Um, creds is still part of some pitches, Um I'm not a fan of the creds document. I think having sat in an agency for two years and seeing the amount of time that goes into putting a creds, a credentials document together, it's not only the content but then it's the 50 hours of design that goes into producing this beautiful-looking thing, whether it's sent electronically or, or as hard copy. Um, I think... A chemistry no, you can't um, you, you can't look at a credentials document in place of a chemistry meeting. A chemistry meeting is absolutely key. So a lot of the the set process is cre- credentials document, maybe, but definitely a chemistry meeting um, for at least an hour. Often giving the agency um, the chance to present a short creds and then open it up for discussion, and then clients normally shortlist um, to three or four agencies. Um, I've seen some. Um, what I think is quite sort of disrespectful behaviour recently where clients are taking five agencies all the way through to a final creative shootout and I think 
I, I think that's slightly disrespectful for the amount of work that that involves from an agency point of view. Uh, and then having running a strategy workshop that follows a brief and then uh, running maybe having a tissue meeting and then a creative shootout. It's kind of they're the, the stages and there's obviously a financial component in there as well. And do clients uh, inclined to run the financial at the end or do they run it during the process or...? Uh, it does tend to run simultaneously towards the end of the process, um, and and then yeah, they're they're sort of simultaneously looking at the financials, procurement are looking at the financials at the same time that an agency is presenting creative, and then um, I think where it becomes um, slightly problematic is when you know a, a pitch could be procurement or client led, and the financials start to dictate the decision. Um, rather than actually any kind of negotiation. And I did see this a couple of times where an agency would be told that they were too expensive and but there was no discussion had as to why they could be too expensive. It could have been that they'd overscoped. It could have been that yeah. they'd, you know, they weren't just actually given a chance yeah. to, it was just like we didn't choose you because you were too expensive and I, I found that really infuriating because that's a conversation to be had if you've got an agency that you prefer. Um, so then you have to sort of say, well, was that just sort of a bit of a cop-out because there were other reasons. Mm. And were there many um, procurement-run pitches which were literally, we want to send you an RFP to fill in? Or no. Did, or did most of them run sort of more like the, the client-run pitch? No, what I found with the procurement-led pitches is the hefty RFP would come alongside the standard pitch process. So it would be just extra work. Right. So you would have your standard pitch process running of chemistry, strategy, tissue and creative, in the case of creative agencies. Um, obviously, media agencies slightly different. Um, but that RFP was done in tandem. Right. So it was extra work. Totally. A lot of extra work. The, the you know, big Excel documents with lots of tabs on risk and compliance and... Um, HR policies and DE and I, and I just having sitting there, I question how much of it was read and how much of it would influence a decision on um, choosing an agency. So most of it was compliance. Most of it was compliance and numbers. And was it ever consistent or was every, like could you pre-prepare yes. uh, a yeah. response and just go, well, here it is? or. You, uh, you could have we well we had a template yes and there was a, a a place on the server where all our responses were kept so generally there were you could actually pull in but it always had to be tailored there was never I never had a situation where I, I could take a block of copy and just chuck it in and be satisfied that that was going to answer the question they were always slightly different um, but yeah agencies are you know. It, it you get quicker and quicker at doing them, but I still question the value, the value, and and what impact that's going to make on choosing the right partner. I don't know. Well, look, most uh, compliance is all about risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just uh, looking for ensuring that anyone they choose is not going to end up costing them money through, you know screwing up let's say yeah. but it is getting bigger and bigger i mean the yeah. issues that have to be covered you know there's 
there's uh, modern slavery, there's environmental, yeah. there's D&I, there, you know, so many issues that have to be covered. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, I was, again, very fortunate that I was with Havas because we have all those, you know, we had all those policies as, as the, you know, as part of the group. Um, but having actually worked on all these RFP, RFPs, um, you can also make it up. Yeah. There, you can. It's quite easy to write a one-page environmental policy to attach if you had to. If you I think didn't you already could probably have it Google place, it, couldn't you? Sure you could. You'd probably take it straight off the net. I know. So... I do remember a conversation with the CEO that showed me their 48-page uh, environment policy out of head office. Yeah. And I said, how much have you implemented? And they went quiet. So, Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing, isn't yeah. it? There's a big difference between a policy and actual behaviour. Yeah, totally. And, um, and again, I would say, like, you know, even the best environmental policy, all, most companies, not all, most companies now are trying to be more environmental and, you know, they've got recycling bins and whatever mm. other, whatever else they can do internally. Again, I would question how much of it is relevant to an advertiser appointing an agency, mm. you know, because most agencies are, are doing, they're all doing about the same thing. I'm yet to see an agency that's not trying to be more environmentally friendly, more sustainable, um, everyone's got a fantastic employee handbook these days. Um, people and culture is becoming an absolutely key role. We've seen the growth of, you know, head of people and culture roles go through the roof. Yeah, it's sort of sad in a way that if it was more important, if there were actual commercial consequences of not doing something oh. in those areas. Oh. But, but I guess what you're saying is because... Do they really care? Does anyone even look at the Excel? I think if that's what worries me. Who is looking at them? No one's ever come back and asked. In the two years I was there, not once has anyone questioned anything that was in the RFP or asked for more information. So it's literally like a box ticking exercise. That's what it feels, feels like. like. Yes, you would have to sit here across the table from a procurement specialist or someone who actually issues them. And look, they would uh, readily acknowledge that it's important to do from to to be able to say from we've looked at, looked yeah. at all this, and, yeah. and but perhaps they could make it easier and just literally have a box for you to tick. Do you have one of these, 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 yeah. and these, rather than actually have to explain what it is? Yeah, and then attach them all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about consultant-run pitches? Because not all consultants are the same either. You know, there's all no. sorts of consultants. And um, they're not that common, are they? I mean, people are inclined to think that pitch consultants are running the world. But in actual fact, no, what, no. what percentage of pitches do you think during the two years were consultant-led? I would say 15%, 20% maybe. Yeah. That would be about right. Yeah. So, yeah, consultants. I mean, I think there's all. <laughs> There's always just kind of a bit of a, a reassurance when a consultant's running a pitch. You for always, the agency. For the agency, yeah. yeah. From the agency point of view, it was always you kind of know what you're getting. You've also, you always feel like you've got someone on your side when a consultant's running a pitch, mm. that you can ask questions, you can, you know, check in. There, mm. There's just that access and I think there's also um, a reassurance that the process is going to be well run mm. um, and fair. And I think the other the other real positive with a consultant run pitch is if you are shortlisted for chemistry, you, you in most cases um, you know that you've already been vetted, mm. kind of 
that's the right word to use, um, that you've already kind of, you know, the consultant's obviously aligned with the client and there's hopefully a client brief on what they're looking for and you've been selected because you're actually already meeting that brief yeah. and then it comes down to, you know, your chemistry with the client. You just said well run and fair. I'm just wondering from an agency's perspective, what are the sorts of criteria of a well run and fair pitch? Um, I think from an agency perspective, a well run and fair pitch is a pitch uh, where the process is clear. I think it's where there is a method of shortlisting that um, that feels fair. Transparent. Transparent. Um, I think uh, where there's feedback, um, where, you know, feedback is clear and um, understood. Yep. I think um, it's also feeling like there's a very clear understanding of the outcome that the client wants and what the client is looking for and that that is communicated to the agencies. I think that's really important. If a client is after a cheaper agency, that needs to be made clear up front. If a client is after creative work, that needs to be clear up front. And it's really interesting, a pitch um, around recently, um, that there was actually a session where agencies just sat down with the client to understand exactly what the client meant in terms of a certain, in yeah. terms of their requirements. So they were crystal clear as to what that client was looking for so that they could then actually go through the process with an end goal in mind. And I think you get that. Um, and it, it always it depends on the client. If a client's going to run their own pitch, you, you might occasionally get that, but it just depends on how much experience they've had. There are some clients that have never run a pitch before. So to actually embark on that, which is sort of, you know, probably 100 hours of that client's time that they definitely don't have, um, is quite an undertaking. So I think, you know, in terms of being fair and, and, and sort of transparent and so forth, a consultant-run pitch, you kind of get that reassurance and, and that ongoing kind of feedback and that person who is sort of leading everyone through the process to get to a, a, a really good outcome for the client. And what about feedback? How good are um, clients and procurement and, and consultants at providing feedback to agencies, particularly when they've been unsuccessful? Look, I think it depends. It totally depends on the client. You get some clients that are very, very respectful and they understand how much time um, and effort, energy and money goes into a pitch and they will come in personally and give feedback to an agency, especially if it's at the end That's of great. the process. And they will meet with the agency to give them feedback in person because they feel that is the least they can do given they have basically had a lot of free strategy and a lot of free ideas um, throughout the length of that process. Um, but it really comes down to the client. And then you get clients that just get too busy and the pitch finishes and they're doing other things. Mm. So, yeah, it's how long's a piece of string. Um, I think consultants, I can only, uh, look, I can only speak from my personal experience while at Havas and, and actually working with Trinity P3. Um, Trinity P3 are amazing at feedback because, and I, I think because most of us have actually worked agency side. Mm. So we actually 
understand what it's like to be on the other side and you want to know. And I think what I like about the feedback you get from consultants who have been on the other side is it's it's constructive criticism. It's the good, the bad and the ugly and you hear it all, warts and all, because you know that's the only way an agency is actually going to improve and make mm. a difference next time. There's no point holding back. Um, and I think as long as agencies understand that consultants are being constructive when they do that and that it's not meant to be an insult, it's just criticism that that's the way something sort of panned yeah. out. Do you think, because um, we're hearing a lot about, you know, agency people through the pandemic and as we're coming out the other side, you know, there's uh, lots of cases of burnout, there's issues with mental health, there's uh, issues just with health, you know, but the, the getting the work-life balance has always been difficult in a, the agency world, but has been particularly compounded by working from home. Yeah. And also there's you know, and we've seen it ourselves, that there's an increase in the number of pitches, that clients and, and procurement are inclined to go to pitch every three years, which has meant that the number of pitches and the number of clients is increasing. Do you think that this is having an impact? Do you think pitching is contributing to this? Yeah, absolutely, because pitching, pitching takes such a toll on an agency on an agency as a whole and then on the individuals that actually work on the pitch. There is the mental and physical stress. There's working weekends. There's working a lot of long hours um, for not a lot of reward other than, yeah, maybe a win at the end. Um, and pitching can be an amazing experience for an agency. It can, you know, all the camaraderie and the, the energy that can be gained from a pitch is wonderful. But I do think um, clients pitching more often um, is contributing, um, and I would question why some of these and I, I some of these three year kind of contractual reviews. Um, I think it needs to be addressed. I think you know. I, I think you know. We've all read the stats that I think an agency makes a loss in their first year, they break even in their second, and they're only making a profit in their third. And if they've got to then pitch again, and that cycle starts again, how do they ever make money? Mm. You know. So I think. Um, I think clients just being aware of that and, you know, I would always question why would you put a piece of business up for pitch if you're happy with your agency? Mm. Like that's the, that, it's a really simple question. As I know the contract says it, but then why not just extend the contract? Why would you go through that whole pitch process if you're happy with your agency? It, it, it actually doesn't make any sense. Do you think agencies are also becoming, because of this, becoming a little bit more choosy in what they pitch for? Absolutely. I yeah. think agencies are getting much better at saying no, at, at actually having a criteria by which they judge um, incoming pitches, uh, generally down to, you know, they and, and having a new business strategy. So they know the kind of business they're after, they know the kind of clients they're after, and they can actually look at a pitch and assess it for its its cultural fit. Like, is it actually going to contribute to the culture of the agency? Um, they can look at it from its strategic and creative um, potential. So, yep. is you know, are they going to create great work for it? Um, they can look at it from a profitability point of view. Is it actually going to contribute to the um, profit of the agency, or is it going to be a bit of a drain? Um, they can look at all sorts of things, um, and then they also have to look at their people and. Uh, current client workload, 
pitches they've just been through. I've had numerous from a consulting point of view. I've had numerous agencies over the years say to me, um, do you know what? We can't do this. I've had my creative department work every weekend for the last six weeks. They need a rest. Mm. They need to see their families. Um, so I think there's all sorts of reasons to say no, but I think agencies are getting so much better at it. And I think, you know, the whole pitch less, win more um, means that when they say no to the ones that aren't quite right, it means they can put their energies into the ones that are, that are a better fit. Totally. It's interesting because you've made that comment about working nights and uh, working weekends for pitches. You know, I think some clients think that the agency's sitting there waiting to pitch for their business. Yeah. But in actual fact, apart from a new business person whose job is to bring in new business, everyone else has a full-time job looking after existing clients. Totally. There's no one with capacity. I don't know. I've never come across anyone in an agency that has that is sitting there with 20 to 30% capacity, yeah. especially at a senior leadership level. And they're yeah. the ones that have to throw themselves behind pitches. And the other point is that agency people don't get paid for overtime. No. Nope. You get your salary. Yep. So if you work an extra 20, 40, 60 hours on top of your base hours, that's all just you're investing your time yeah, for but that you get purpose. all the time off when you get really sick when you're really tired <laughs> and then you pick up the latest virus. <laughs> that's so sad. I know. Yeah, no, but oh, that is what happens. Look at the sick leave I'm owed. I know. So, yes, uh, it's, yeah, and I think clients, it, it goes back to clients being able to respect that and, and it goes, yeah. But a lot of clients are really nervous to give that sort of information up front, aren't they? So agencies can make that assessment. I mean, I know a lot of clients that just say, well, we should, even as consultants, you know, well, we should give them an indication of the size of what's being offered here or, you know, the expectation. And it can be a real struggle for it, people. It can be a real struggle. And I think clients need to come forward, you know, Agencies need to understand the size of the prize. So what are they actually fighting for? That's but that's a, and that's a life thing. If you if you're going into bat for anything in life, you kind of need to know what you're actually fighting for at the end of it. Mm. Um, and clients that hold that back, they've got to give some indication. So I, you know, I've been told by a number of new business people around the traps that uh, you know it became very common for. Um, a client to want the agency to pitch their business and it was only once they got into the process that they found out that it was like a $50,000, $100,000 project only and yet they'd been led to believe that this was to pitch for the business. Had that ever happened to you in no. your experience? No, it's but maybe it was just see, yeah, I suppose... You just Those make questions. sure they answer the question well, before Well, there was you... a bit of that. There was a bit like, well, we can't really go into this until we know what, and, and I think it was probably easier for me because I did have lots of these conversations um, in that because I sort of sat across a couple of agencies at Havas and even like two PR agencies at any point in time, I could have those conversations where I, could, I would actually say, and I've said it frequently to clients, I'd say, can you just give me an indication of, of what size the business is and what you're after because I can actually put you in touch with the right agency. Yeah. So I, I think that sort of makes a, a bit of a difference that I'm quite, because you've got a broader So it remit. wasn't all or nothing because no, there was an opportunity. There was an opportunity right for way. me to, to actually find the right fit yeah. for any given client um, and I did that frequently. Yeah, that's good. So you would have heard about the IPA and ISBAR in the UK of, launch their um, pitch positive pledge, you know, where they're asking uh, 
advertisers, procurement, uh, they call us intermediaries, we're not consultants, yes. uh, yes. to actually sign up to running uh, uh, pitches in a way that will be more positive in the outcome, particularly for human resources, for the agency staff and for marketers as well. Yeah. You know, what do you think of that as an initiative? I think it's a brilliant initiative. I think, um, especially in the UK, I think, you know, having sort of witnessed from afar um, the business of Havas in London and the amount of UK, but there's a lot more pitches over there mm. and they do tend to pitch for everything. Um, I think the industry stepping up to actually um, recognise the increasing cost of pitching um, on humans, the, the people doing mm. the pitches, um, is really, really important. And I like the fact that they are looking at how do you make pitching, like take all the positives of pitching and all the good things about it and actually make it more efficient, less arduous to run, um, just better processes that actually consider what a client is after, what the, the final outcome is, and therefore what's the best process to get there. And don't just go in blindly running a templated pitch process because that's the way we do things. Mm. Um, so make it, make it streamlined, make it agile. So you think something like that could work outside of the UK? Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I think, I think Australia's an interesting market because... You know, pitch as as we covered before, pitch consultants are probably fifteen to twenty percent max of the pitches that are run. So I think it's getting clients and procurement to actually buy into running more effective pitches mm. and running them more efficiently, so that there is less sort of tax on the human side of things from an agency point of view. Um, I think it could absolutely work here. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so what uh, what would you be saying to clients that are thinking about going to pitch? Apart from making an ad and saying contact us. Yeah, exactly. What, what do you call think? Me. Call, call me now. Call me. one 800 What would I say to them? Um, I still, as much as, you know, part of my income is, is being a pitch consultant, um, it should be a last resort. Yeah. Any client going to pitch, I would ask them to ask themselves why. Why are they pitching? I think the reasons to absolutely go to pitch is if you don't have an agency and you need one, mm -hmm. that obvious, and you don't have um, a good awareness of the market, um, and it doesn't have to be a full-blown pitch. It can be a streamlined pitch to suit you, um, or if you are in a relationship that is really dysfunctional or um, you've changed as a client and you've got an agency that just can't deliver what you need. In those cases, you go, yep, run a pitch, find a really good pitch consultant who can run you a, a tailored pitch to meet your needs. Any other client who has an existing relationship, I would just say just have a really good hard look at why you want to go to pitch and have a look at if, it, if you think it's the relationship, is it one-sided? Is it only the agency that is the problem or is it a two-sided problem? And in that case, do you need some sort of a relationship review? Mm -hmm. Um have a look at the agency team. If it's if it's the agency team rather than the agency that's the issue, agencies have other people. Yeah. Get, get a fresh team on it. You know, it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily need to be a whole new agency. So, and I think if it's um, creative, I would have a long, hard look at your briefing process and make sure it's not, the briefs aren't contributing to the, yep. the, the lack of alignment on creativity. 
Um, I think if it's commercial, um, run a commercial review. Do not pitch because of financials. If you're really happy with your agency and there's commercial issues, then run a commercial review. Don't run a pitch. Yeah, I've said this to a few people. I said, you know, pitching is like finding a new partner, yeah. right? So you've got to accept the fact that you probably have to give up the incumbent one. And it's yes. the same here because, you know, we know from the data that the incumbent's only got a one in four chance. Yeah. I, I did compare that to actually marriage. And I, I, said, to same, a, I, I said to a procurement <laughs> guy, you know, if, if you think... Uh, reviewing your marriage, you know, are you married? He said, yes. I said, well, how long? Seven years. Go home to your partner and say, look, I just want to make sure that this is the best marriage that I could be having. So I'm going to go out and date other people for three or four months and then come back and if you're still the best, I'm going to stick with you. Because I think yeah. pitching is a really good way to select a new agency relationship, but it's the worst way possible of actually testing the incumbent one because oh, just like horrible. a marriage I think it's just horrible. you will fail yeah because yep. you, know? you know every agency that's not the incumbent has the opportunity to promise oh, they're you. going to look so much better the quality well, is greener <laughs> it's our strategic their strategic process is going to look better because it's new yeah. and it's fresh uh their creative is going to look interesting their you know their account handling their pros everything's going to be Fantastic, because it's all going to be shiny and new. And then guess what? In two or three years, it's going to be exactly the same. Exactly. It's just different ways of doing things. But, yeah, I just think I oh, just any client, like, really look hard. And I think the other thing to consider is the expense of onboarding a new agency. Yeah. It's huge. And you're going to lose a lot of time. You really want to make sure you're doing it for all the right reasons because you're, you're going to have to invest a lot of your own time but a lot of the agencies to actually get them up and running as you would an agency who uh, uh, who you've, you've been with for three, four, five years, however yeah. long it's been. And I don't know, if I was an incumbent and if I was an incumbent agency and asked to pitch and you, you kind of, you'd have to question whether it was actually worth it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of marketers say, oh, yeah, but they know my business better than anyone. The trouble is that actually works against you in a pitch. Yeah, it does. Because in many ways, not knowing the reality means that you can promise the, the world. world. <laughs> Anita, the uh, time's got away from us. Uh, it's been fantastic sitting down and having this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, just one last question oh, before yeah. we go. Have you ever had a client that you've had to pull out of the pitch during the process? Mm -hmm.